628 at the time. Talk Radio 790K ABC Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. So Rob Marinko, it is on between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. The war on women. I mean, it is kind of a Hillary issue, you know. Donald, yeah. Donald's a sexist pig. You know, she'd be the first woman uh, in the Oval Office. Well, she'd be the first woman behind the desk in the Oval Office. I, I think would be the accurate way to put that. Hmm. But he's fighting back, okay? Donald Trump is fighting back. He is playing the Bill Clinton as sexist pig card. He's he's saying Hillary, you know, is not a great symbol. Let's let's hear it straight from the Donald. I love the concept. I love, love, love having. A woman president. Can't be her. She's horrible. And you know who really don't... I'll tell you who doesn't like Hillary. Or women. Women don't like Hillary. All right, so that's his take. Now, the Wall Street Journal the other day had a remarkable editorial about this, about the Clinton war on women. They say nobody in American politics better personifies a war on women than Mrs. Clinton's husband. So uh, Donald is dragging Bill in. They say Mr. Clinton was a genuine sexual harasser in the classic definition of exploiting his power as a workplace superior, and the Clinton entourage worked hard to smear and discredit his many women accusers. Start with bimbo eruptions, the phrase that Clinton's Arkansas fixer Betsy Wright used to describe the women who had affairs with Bill. Jennifer Flowers almost derailed the primary campaign in 92 until Hillary stood by her man on CBS's 60 Minutes. And many more would come forward, not the least Paula Jones, the Arkansas state employee who testified that a state policeman working for Clinton invited her to Bill's hotel room where he exposed herself, sexually propositioned her. She then filed a sexual harassment suit. He lied under oath, resulting in his impeachment. And then, of course, the Clinton menagerie doing their best to destroy her, too. James Carville's famous line, if you drag a $100 bill through a trailer park, you never know what you'll find. So all of this is going to come back during yeah, the Clinton and, and, fight. And it's even more it's even worse, I think, because, Roy, you got to remember that, that it was Hillary who defended her husband. That's fine. But at, at, in doing so, she basically called all the women accusers liars. And uh, she impugned their integrity. And if and it was any other guy, uh, then it, it would have been a totally different take. Yeah. All right, 6.30 the time. Take Talk Radio 790 KBC. Rob Marenko with the headlines. Money, money, money. Must be funny in the rich man's world. Money, money, money. Always sunny in the rich man's world. 6.37 the time. Talk Radio 790 KABC. In for Doug McIntyre. Yeah, money. That's uh, why Ethan Couch uh, got off uh, a couple of years ago. Killed four people. Paralyzed one. Zero time in jail because of affluenza. His parents never taught him right from wrong. They were just wealthy. And so the judge is gone, fortunately. And uh, the kid and the mom were gone to Mexico. Uh, but Mom's headed back. Uh, I believe uh, she came back through Los Angeles, but he's still down in Mexico to help us sort out all this. Let's uh, turn to our reporter, Alan Skaya in Dallas. Alan, welcome to KPC. How you doing? Doing okay. Yeah, and that's something that uh, that that we understand is that the the judge issued the order uh, to keep Ethan Couch in Mexico there, and the order it, it only takes effect for three days. But the U.S. Marshal's office says that, you know, sometimes cases like this can take weeks to sort through. So they don't expect Ethan Couch to be returned here uh, for, for, for quite some time. But, but Tanya Couch, uh, she actually came back through LAX last night 
Um, and the U.S. Marshals took her into custody. They, they drove her off. Uh, they won't say how long it'll take to, to return her to, uh, to Texas. Uh, they say, you know, that's kind of a security thing with her being such a high-profile uh, detainee at this point. They, they didn't want to publicize you know, where they're going to take her and how they're going to get her back to Texas. Now, I missed the coverage on this. Did, did people actually see her? I mean, were paparazzi allowed to sort of plant themselves at LAX as if it was yeah, Justin was Bieber? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that was something the marshals did. Is You know, they kind of marched her through the terminal there. And, uh, Sounds they, a little they to me like Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby. I wonder if they thought about that. Of course, they have guns at LAX, unlike uh, Chicago, so they'd be okay. So, so that's so weird. Do, do you know, Alan Skaya, why it is that she's already uh, headed back to the States and, and the kid is, is still fighting in Mexico? Yeah, the judge just issued that order saying that you know this was going to apply to Ethan Couch alone. Tanya Couch was was able to come back, and so... It's just an issue now that, yeah, the U.S. Marshals are having to work through the system in Mexico uh, to try to get him back here. I heard. And that's the thing is that, uh, you know, Couch isn't like the same lawyers who represent him in Texas are not representing him in Mexico. It's different lawyers. Probably a language barrier. In Mexico. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this. I, I saw a report. Is, is this true as far as you know? That the reason they got caught down in Mexico is because they were sitting around and, uh, you know, kind of like pizza. It's a Domino's down the street. <laughs> they used their cell phone to order Domino's, and that's what allowed the authorities to catch them. Is that your understanding? That's exactly what happened. Yeah, they love Domino's pizza. They apparently called a Domino's in that town in Mexico. And uh, the U.S. Marshals were able to track that cell phone signal, uh, and that's how that's how they found wow. out. Wow! So in other words, he suffers he suffers both from affluenza and stupiditis. Uh, I mean, <laughs> these people. Uh, thank God they're stupid. It's wonderful that they're they're headed back to the U.S. So any chance? Everybody's frustrated uh, about the fact that this kid may only get anything. Lock him up till he's nineteen, which is in a, you know a few months, and then they can only give him one hundred and twenty days. Is there any chance? Have you heard reporting about federal charges maybe being filed against him, possible crossing international uh, borders improperly, something like that? That much where it remains to be seen. The way it's set up right now. Uh, the you know he would only face a few months in jail because he's uh, he's con- he was considered a juvenile, and that was something that the sheriff. I remember covering this you know when this when this first happened, and the sheriff was upset you know even as this was playing out that 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 Couch wasn't going to be charged as an adult, saying that yeah he didn't show any sort of remorse when he did get arrested. Uh, this time around, even if he is charged as an adult. Uh, really, all that would do is reset his probation. So he would have to do something else uh, before he could get a, a stiffer sentence. Right. Now, Tanya Couch. Yeah, I was going to ask her about Tanya. What charges is she looking at, and what kind of jail time might she face if things go wrong for her? She's going to be charged with hindering and apprehension, and that is a felony. Uh, and so she could be sentenced to two to ten years in prison. Uh, that's that's the penalty uh, for for hindering and apprehension. And so it's not just that, you know, she serves as an accomplice in this case, uh, that she actively, you know, uh, tried to keep him away from authorities when they did start looking. Wow. All right. Alan Skaya in Dallas, thank you for bringing us up to date on this story. We'll be in touch. All right. Sounds Thanks good. a lot. Boy, isn't it, Rob Marenko, ironic? Here's this kid. He kills four people, and one of the victims is paralyzed. He gets no jail time because, essentially, it's his parents' fault for not teaching him right from wrong, right? And the parent is probably going to do the jail time now. 
two to ten years, according to what Alan said. So, I mean, at least somebody will yeah. will do time for the death of, of those people and, and the horrendous injury. Yeah, well, uh, Alan said, you know, something very interesting. This kind of resets now his probation, and the most time they can give now is till his 19th birthday, which is in March, a couple months. However... You know, he'll be on probation again as an adult. And you got to assume he's going to screw up. Yeah, this kid is uh, is trouble. He's going to screw up again, and then we can all celebrate when he gets uh, 10 years or whatever he's going to get. He'll do jail time. I think you're probably right. 6.43 the time, talk radio, 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Lord. 7.15 the time, talk radio, 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre this holiday week. And as as warned, we're delighted to join be joined by Jim Murray, Chief Correspondent of Inside Edition. Jim, how are you? I'm so liberated now that you revealed I have Tourette. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, okay, you never actually have had an episode, but I figure, you know, it's possible, right? I'm due for one, right? Yeah. yeah how are you doing, Jim? We haven't talked for a while. I know. Everything's not bad. Not bad. I'm a bit under the weather, but I, I'm always thrilled to talk to you, and I'm... Uh, I'm happy and sad that you're up so early in the studio. It's it is an early morning this week, but it's fun and it's, and it's great to talk to you. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, you know Jim. Uh, you've seen him on Inside Edition, uh, uh, and uh, his book, The Last Day of My Life, is a must read. And don't you think, Jim, if if people are looking for you know New Year's gifts, they ought to hop on Amazon. <laughs> It's not as depressing as the title suggests, yeah. but thank yeah. you very much. It's a great book, The Last Day of My Life. So, so Jim Murray, <laughs> um, you've interviewed everybody uh, in show business, politics. I, I, I assume, but, but tell us, have you bumped into Bill Cosby in, uh, in your storied career? Have you had a chance to interview the cause? Uh, I have. Um, I mean, you know, not, not recently, but probably 20 Twenty plus years ago. The reason um, I ask is I wondered if there was any hint when you, you know, were actually in his presence that there was this alleged side to him that everybody has just been talking about a whole lot in the last year. I mean, not that I saw certainly. Mm-hmm. Although I do suspect that um, there were, uh, I don't know, hints, rumors, um, suspicions of those close to him. I, I just couldn't imagine keeping a, a life that, that, if this is true, and, you know, look, we have to say he's, he's, he's charged, not convicted. Right. However, um, I, I've personally talked to about a dozen of the 55 women who, who have made claims against Bill Cosby, and what strikes me, aside from the fact that I've never seen any case like this, and even, even Gloria Allred, uh, who represents 29 women, said never in her career has she seen so many women come out with similar or virtually the same story against a specific individual. That's what strikes me. These women did not know each other, Royal. Mm-hmm. You, you've covered the story as well, and, and the stories are all so strikingly similar. Uh, the women were often um, models or actresses or Playboy playmates, and, and many of them, because of that, felt that if they had come forward, they'd, they'd be faced with, oh, we don't believe you, or you just want to get ahead in your career, right. or... More importantly, they thought if they did come forward, their career would be destroyed. Um, but they all said that Bill Cosby either gave them a drink or gave them a pill because in one case, a woman was grieving the loss of, of, of a relative and another and a woman didn't feel well. And he said, take this, this will take the edge off. And then they all say that they either blacked out or felt frozen or both. And they woke up and their clothes were either off or 
their blouses pulled up. And, you, you know, that the story gets more and more disturbing because you hear it over and over again. Sure. And these women did not know each other. So, look, um, one, it, it, I, I suppose that what, what, what worked in Bill Cosby's favor is that this happened so long ago that the statutes had all run out on both the civil and criminal cases. But in, in this Pennsylvania case and another in Los Angeles, which is still under investigation, uh, could come back and haunt him. Yep. We're talking with Jim Murray, chief correspondent for Inside Edition. You know, to me, Jim, uh, the two astounding sides of this are, on the one hand, how can he not be guilty with all of these many consistent stories? And yet, on the other side of the coin, how can he not have been nailed before? Not one of them came forward within the criminal statute of limitations. Yes, Andrea Constand had the lawsuit, and he settled it uh, a decade or so ago. But, I mean, in this era that we lived in the last few decades where you know, people are just not afraid to blast away. As you say, folks want to protect their careers, but I mean, did you get any sense interviewing the dozen or so women? Did you come to any conclusions personally as to whether, yeah, she's kind of a gold digger, or oh my gosh, that she is the most credible person uh, in the world, or, or, or did you come uh, away? I did. No, I did, and I'll tell you what, what, what's difficult. You and I are both lawyers. Um, you, you want, you, you don't want to publicly uh, convict somebody, you know, even even in court of public opinion, right. without without evidence. You know, that's not our system. Um, however, having said that, you know, on a personal level, you, you you really do come away thinking, how could this not be true? You can't have fifty five women who are not joined financially right. or socially, all with the same story, and it not be true. It just doesn't make sense. Um, why didn't this happen before? Uh, well, I'll tell you what's interesting. I was thinking about this yesterday. You may recall that a little over a year ago, a comedian, Hannibal Burris, was was videotaped. Yeah, on, October two thousand fourteen kicked it off. Yeah, and and this video um, uh, of Hannibal, who's African American and was joking about Bill Cosby being a rapist, that video was posted and went viral. And and I think that's what's different now. You know, things go viral. I think it, that video emboldened certain women to come forward and say, yeah, this isn't funny because it really happened. And then that snowballed. So, you know, in that sense, Bill Cosby was taken down by social media, really, not by, not by these women. Many of them had, had been quiet for decades and even told their family members. And, and I think it was that video going viral that really sparked this, this wave. And then with each woman... Others would come forward thinking, wow, I thought it was me alone. And, and that, you know, it just kind of built and built and built. So why didn't this happen earlier? Because aside from being worth 350 to $500 million, he was for a long time uh, one of the most powerful men, uh, certainly on television, if not in show business. And, and also he was a beloved character, you know, who would want to believe that. And I think sometimes when we don't want to believe something, we try to ignore it. But here he had so many women come forward that you just simply couldn't ignore it. Yep. We're talking with Jim Murray, chief correspondent, Inside Edition, and he's been reporting on a different story. So let's switch over to this human growth hormone issue. I, when you see this guy, this Dr. Life, I mean, he is uh, a walking advertisement for human growth hormones. He's, what, in his in his 70s, and he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Apparently, uh, there's a dark side uh, to, to all this HGH stuff. What, what's your take on it? Well, well, you're, you're talking about with with with, uh, with Manning. You're talking about the football player, oh, the Peyton Manning, exactly. Yeah. Plus uh, this Dr. Jeffrey Life, the 77 year old guy we see in the ads, who 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 looks like Peyton Manning's body. 
I, and you know what? I've interviewed Dr. Life, and and what an impressive guy. And he, but he he's not hiding the fact that he uses human growth hormone. He advocates it. Right, right. And uh, and he looks incredible. Uh, I mean, uh, when I talked to him, it must be about four or five years ago now in Las Vegas, where he has a a, a clinic. Wow, the guy is is in incredible shape. It is amazing. I saw him interviewed on a, on a TV interview just the other day, and you just can't believe the way, I mean, he sounds great, but at 77, to have a body like that, it is just well, beyond belief. I mean, it is beyond belief, and, and, and believe me, I, I, I envy his physique, <laughs> and, and he showed me his workout area, and, and look, he could take both of us down, no question about it, although, <laughs> although he advocates human growth hormone. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is with Peyton Manning, was he using something right, illegal? And right. what disturbs me is that the allegations against Peyton Manning come from an intern who was at a clinic not at the same time as Peyton Manning. And frankly, you know, this all comes from an Al Jazeera investigative report that Peyton Manning says is garbage. And, uh, and, and you know, the, the report doesn't specifically claim Peyton Manning used the substance. It claims that, that HGH, the human growth hormone, was sent to Manning's wife, and there's an insinuation, but no specific allegation. And the person who made the, the claim that the, the HGH was sent to Peyton's wife, I think, has recanted everything that he said. So, you, you know, look, as a reporter, and, and you've commented on many, many cases for us at Inside Edition, and I always respect the fact you, you feel, I think, the same way I do. You don't want to make claims is certainly in certain instances, like you know, rape, incest, uh, uh, pedophilia, right. or, or or something like this, where you don't have the facts. And I think that you, you talk about a man's reputation and his life. And look, Peyton Manning could very well sue Al Jazeera. He says he's going to, and and, and I suppose if this is false as Manning claims, he he should. All right, Jim Murray, Inside Edition Chief Correspondent, thank you so much for sharing part of your holiday week with us. Uh, best of luck to you, and have a great New Year's. You too. It's always great to talk to you, and have a wonderful New Year. Thanks a lot. Take care, Jim. 725 The Time, Talk Radio 790K, ABC The Place, Traffic with Bill Thomas. Thirty-seven. The time. Talk Radio Seven Ninety K ABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Hope you're having a wonderful holiday week. I guess it's not a holiday for everybody, but uh, kind of a low-key, tranquil week. Hope you have a fabulous New Year's tonight. Hey, one hour from now, you can be a winner. Caller nine at one eight hundred two 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 K ABC. We'll win a pair of tickets to Il Devo at the Dolby Theater. Tickets are on sale now, but you can get a free pair if you're the ninth caller one hour from now, 1-800-222-5222. So lots of new laws. We've been talking about over 800 new laws in California, and one of them is getting a lot of attention, and that would be the minimum wage bump up. We're going from $9 an hour up to $10 an hour, and we are joined to uh, help... Sort this out by John Raby. He is creator of calnewsroom.com, and his Twitter handle is at John Raby. That's J-O-H-N-H-R-A-B-E. John, Happy New Year. How are you? 
Happy New Year, Royal. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Well, you are quite welcome. So $9 up to $10 for minimum wage in California as of tomorrow. How are uh, businesses in the Golden State reacting to this? Well, I mean, businesses are, are, are going to be struggling uh, when the minimum wage goes up. It puts pressures on their margins. And in California, with high cost of real estate, high taxes, high regulations, there's an intense pressure for businesses. But but forget about businesses, because I think this minimum wage debate always seems to side. Uh, we, we have on the one side those that want to raise the minimum wage, and they talk about poverty. They talk about those at the bottom that are struggling, and they're right. And then on the other side, we always turn this into businesses. But the reality is the minimum wage hike isn't going to help people at the bottom. It's not going to alleviate poverty. It's not going to cause people to suddenly be able to afford a home in Los Angeles County, which is some of the highest real estate prices in the country. It's not even going to help all workers because the minimum wage increase doesn't affect a certain group of workers. If you're mentally disabled, if you're physically handicapped, or you're a sheep herder in California, you're not going to see a minimum wage hike. So even in our own minimum wage laws, we don't see equity and parity, and we don't see it equally applied um, to help those most in need. You know, critics of the minimum wage bump-ups uh, always try to sell the idea, you know, let's pay attention to economics. Wages and costs for the company go up jobs are going to go down. Uh, and yet politicians are always trying to sell the idea of free stuff. You know, line up. It's Christmas year-round. It, it, isn't it kind of hard for the businesses to, to fight against this uh, prospect of free money, just from a PR standpoint? Sure. Uh, but, I mean, think about where the economy is going and where, where, where we're coming from. I mean, when we look at this, the minimum wage is a factory-era relic, uh, largely. I mean, this was designed back in an era where, you know, we had kids working in factories. So we had laws that, that banned child labor. Then we had minimum wage laws because, you, you know, it was just physically grueling to work in a factory for 12 hours. But we're not moving to that. Most people, professionals and, and someone who is developing a career in this state, in order to have a, a wage and a salary that is, they're able to live in this state is not going to be a wage employee for most of their life. And so what we need in order to help people at the bottom, in order to change that 20 to 25 percent poverty rate in this state, is to uh, encourage people to move from that wage into working for themselves in order to create wealth, develop a skill and, and something that they're good at that isn't tied to hourly production. It isn't that factory era mentality. You know, people talk about how minimum wage jobs are often entry-level jobs, and you get a lot of resistance to that idea. People say, oh, you know, we need a living wage, and they talk as if it affects everybody throughout the economic and the job spectrum. But, I mean, the fact is, it seems like most of the minimum wage jobs are at the entry level, and it's not like kids at 18, 20, 22 are just barely getting into the workforce really need a big bump up in their wage. Well, the other interesting thing is that it, it, when you increase the minimum wage, and we've seen this time and time again, but we're going to see it as technology improves, we're seeing those, those jobs disappear. When you go to the checkout counter, you can, it can be automated to where you do it yourself. And you're already seeing in other countries, go to Japan, for instance, and a lot more things are automated. There's a lot more use of electronics in the place of an hourly wage worker. So when you increase the, when you increase the hour, minimum wage, what it does is it encourages those businesses that say, right now, we're, we're struggling, we're, we're, we can make it because we've done it this way, and so there isn't that high cost of, of transition. But now, when you bump it up from 9 bucks to 10 
maybe I'm going to reevaluate it. Maybe it is finally time for me to transition to having more electronic-based systems and automate these systems and move away from having an employee do this task. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the pressure is obvious. I mean, I, I look around in, in real life. I, I see, for example, parking lots. It used to be you'd always have a human being sitting there, you know, taking the money, uh, helping you out. And now, more often than not, this is a human-free zone, you know, and you don't really need people. You just push the button, you get the ticket, and then when you get to the end, you stick your credit card in, and then they let you out if they authorize it. And that's because human beings are too expensive, not just, you know, benefits and so on, but also the pressure of the minimum wage. And you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the checking, for example. I go to Ralph's, and I feel sorry for these checkers, the ones who were assigned that day to train stupid me to check myself out. I'm not good at it, but I, I try. And these poor people, they're smiling. Oh, yeah, well, here's what you do. You know, you use the bag here, and here's your card. And what they're doing is they're training me so that they won't have a job. It, it's, it's kind of sad, but that's what we're faced with. Right, but that's a great thing. I mean, that's a great thing because when we eliminate costs, when we eliminate a person that is doing a manual task that a computer or, or a customer can do by themselves better, we make everything more affordable. We drive down the cost of goods. You know, when we have self-driving cars in the next generation, it's going to be a great thing because it makes improvements in our overall quality of life. So the, the solution then is for people who are working that hourly wage job to do everything they can to create that skill, to find some value that they can create that is not in an hourly waged economic framework. Yeah, I think you're right. We're talking to John Raby. Uh, he is creator of calnewsroom.com. Last question, John. Do you ever hear anybody suggesting, okay, society wants folks to have a living wage, nine bucks an hour, that's 18000 a year, that's not enough. But why should these small businesses that might be on the verge of bankruptcy, why should they be paying that living wage? Now, I don't like the idea of authorizing a guaranteed income from the government, but it seems like somebody other than the poor small business guy should be paying this that isn't appropriate according to the market system. Yeah, I mean, I think you raise a good point. I know this is an area of law that you're very familiar with, but I think what you're going to see is for tasks that you could hire an independent contractor for, or you could hire a consultant for, or you could hire someone uh, not necessarily as an employee, but, w but when you see these wage hikes, it encourages people to say, hey, how is my business structured? How is my, uh, how is my workforce structured? Is there a way that I can automate it? Or is there a way that I can hire this out and use any of the number of freelance services, online websites where people are selling their trade and selling their skill based on a project and not based by the hour? All right, John Raby, thank you for joining us, and you have a great New Year's. You too, Royal. All right, Thanks. take care. 744 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KBC. Let's check traffic with Bill Thomas. Wake up. Wake up. Get up now. Right now. It's McIntyre in the Morning with Doug McIntyre and Terry Ray Elmer. 807 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. The place Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre this holiday week. Hey, would you like to score great can't-be-bought seats to this Saturday's Kings game? Well, you can be caller 3 right now at 800-222-KBC, and you'll be the KABC King for a day. You and your guest will sit in custom-made KBC-embroidered seats that money can't buy. Watch all the action just above the ice in the most comfortable seats in the house. Call now, 1-800-222-5222 right now, and good luck. And there's another reason for you to call right now. Maybe you'd like to talk to Gloria Allred, huh? 
800-222-KBC. If you'd like to quiz Gloria on the story of the day, and that would be the Bill Cosby case. Gloria, how are you doing? Happy New Year. Good morning. Happy New Year to you, Royal. I gotta say, Gloria, you know how they used to call uh, James Brown the hardest working man in show business? Yes. Well, you gotta be the hardest working woman in the law business. Well, you got 29 I, clients uh, among yeah, well, his victims. I love what I do, and, you know, this this month I've been doing it 40 years and with the leading women's rights law firm in the nation, and we love helping people, women, men, whomever, if we can help them, if it's within our area of expertise, that's what we do. And so many of the women began coming to me uh, beginning last November about Mr. Cosby, alleging that they were victims, they were barred from being able to uh, file a civil lawsuit because of statute of limitations for most of them. They were prevented from having law enforcement even consider their case for criminal prosecution so that a DA couldn't even prosecute it even if he or she felt that there was sufficient evidence to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt because of the statute of limitations. And they wanted to have a voice. They wanted to speak out and tell what they said was their truth. So and, you, I, I saw you, I had to support them and assist them, and that's what I did. Yeah, I saw you on TV yesterday saying, you know, this is the best Christmas present they ever got. Uh, it's got to be a really okay. emotional time for, for, for these uh, folks that you represent. It is emotional for a lot of reasons. It's emotional because while they know that they're not going to have their day in court, uh, they're very happy that Andrea Constant will have her day in court. Uh, and uh, and that she will have an opportunity to testify under oath. And uh, let's see what the jury decides. Of course, Mr. Cosby will also have that same opportunity, but he may invoke his Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination, decide not to testify, and which is his right. And we'll see what he does. Having said that, what will be interesting, too, Royal, is that he's, ha- he's made certain admissions in the 2005 deposition, uh, in the Andrea Constant lawsuit, which he filed against him. So he testified under oath uh, that, in fact, he gave quaaludes to women with the intent to have sex, although uh, he did not answer the question, was it with their knowledge or consent, because his attorney objected. Uh, he has, I understand, it, either in a statement to the police or in the deposition, admitted that he did give pills to uh, Ms. Constant, that he also gave her wine. Uh, he alleges it was Benadryl. Uh, he apparently alleges that uh, she didn't say no, or he didn't interpret what her, her, her body language or as, as saying no either, in addition to no words saying no. Well, that's really off point, because if in fact she was incapacitated by pills, and we don't know whether it's Benadryl or anything else, but if she was incapacitated by either drugs or alcohol and couldn't say no, or couldn't say yes, well, then that's a basis for prosecuting for uh, indecent assault, a felony, aggravated indecent assault, which is what he's charged with. So, you know, we'll have to see what's decided. We'll have to see whether that deposition comes into evidence. We'll have to see whether his statements, prior statements to the police come into evidence. We'll have to see whether or not they allow other witnesses who allege same or similar acts, some of whom are my clients, some of whom are not, to testify. Rob, go ahead. Yeah, Gloria, this is Rob. I, I'm just curious, the, the last uh, comment there you made in regard to uh, perhaps your clients uh, testifying in this case, uh, how likely is it that a judge would allow that? And are you prepared if the judge doesn't allow it? I would imagine the defense team for Cosby is going to say, no, that's those are prior acts and they have nothing to do with my client. Pro, yeah, the allegation of prior bad acts. Right. Uh, 
I well, I, I I would think that you're probably right that the defense will absolutely object to other witnesses testifying about same or similar acts. Are you confident that the judge will will allow it or no? I have no idea whether the judge in no. Pennsylvania will allow it or not. I do know this that my clients have indicated they're prepared to testify. They understand oh. the rigors they be subjected to in terms of uh, very aggressive uh, cross examination by defense attorneys, the highly paid defense team of Mr. Cosby. Um, and uh, they understand that they'll be investigated and that they'll be interrogated, essentially. But you know, they demonstrated courage in the past, and they can, they're going to continue to demonstrate that courage if the prosecutor feels that they have evidence uh, that may be relevant and that may be admissible. Do you have any concern that the DA has kind of a problem? On the one hand, if the pattern and practice evidence of your 29 clients plus a lot of others comes in, a lot of people think, Gloria, I think it virtually assures a conviction of Bill Cosby. On the other hand, might that risk reversal by an appellate panel that says mm, the trial court judge kind of got it wrong because, you know, Cosby really couldn't get a fair trial with all of these other accusers' testimony coming in? Well, it will not surprise me at all if, in fact, he is convicted and then appeals and says he didn't get a fair trial. Uh, that would be, you know, not unexpected for him to do that, uh, that is, appeal a conviction if there were one. Um, but, what, but, you know, there's a very big difference, as we know, as lawyers, from appealing and saying you didn't get a fair trial and an appellate court deciding, yes, you're right, you didn't get a fair trial. Of course, they decide that in some cases, but not in many others. So I don't know. Right now, I, I think what we have to wait and see is uh, how this is going to unfold and uh, which other persons will be called. This is, a, this is a district attorney that's being subjected by the defense team to a lot of attacks, saying it's all political, and that's why he's done it, or something to that effect, or that's one of his motives. Well, you know what? He's a very experienced district attorney. He's got a very high conviction record for the cases he's prosecuted. He did run for district attorney. Right now he's assistant DA. He'll become the elected DA tomorrow. Uh, and I think he's most likely to have been very, very cautious in, in scrutinizing what the evidence would be if he brought this case, because in the case of celebrities, often the prosecution feels, although it's not the law, that they have to prove not only a case beyond a reasonable doubt, by almost, but almost by any doubt whatsoever, which is not the law, but just simply sometimes the reality, because the defense has you know, such highly paid and numerous uh, attorneys, because a rich, powerful a uh, famous defendant like Mr. Cosby can afford whatever he wants in terms of as many attorneys as he wants, quality attorneys, experienced attorneys. And so it's going to be quite a battle. And uh, But I'm confident that the prosecution at least feels that it has a strong case. But we'll have to see what the jury decides. And Gloria, I believe you have personal knowledge of the fact that we do traffic on the fours around here, don't you? Yes, and that's a very important point <laughs> exactly. because a lot of us who listen to KBC listen to the traffic report. So, so let's let me, go to it. Let me say uh, Happy New Year. You have a wonderful 2016, and we'll be in touch. Have a very Happy New Year to you and all the KBC listeners as well. See Thank you, you so much. See you Bye later, Royal. Gloria. Okay. Let's go to Bill Thomas. How are things looking on the roads? 816 The Time, Talk Radio 790-K-A-B-C, Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Whenever I hear this music, I picture Doug Llewellyn, you know, arm wrestling with Harvey Levin, or maybe mud wrestling. Yeah, nude mud wrestling between oh, Doug Llewellyn oh. and Harvey Levin. That would have caused people's you? court ratings to spike, I believe. Uh.
you know, you could blur body parts, maybe. That's a lot of blurring. <laughs> well, we, we have a legal case we want to talk about uh, with a gentleman, by the way, of Larry Sand. He's president of the California Teachers Empowerment Network and uh, the U.S. Supreme Court. It's going to be uh, looking at a case uh, of great interest to uh, Mr. Sand. Larry, how you doing? Fine. How are you, Ralph? Very good, thanks. So, tough act to follow, Larry. For you to follow Gloria Allred, I mean, uh, <laughs> you, you, you brought yeah. your, I hope you brought your A game, right? Uh, I, I'll do my best, but I, I don't know how I'll do them. Nah, could could be her. tough. Could be tough. Well, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has decided to take up uh, a, a lot of interesting cases this term. you got an abortion case, you got an affirmative action case, contraceptives, immigration, kind of the usual suspect hot-button topics. But uh, I know you have a particular interest in a case uh, that they've taken up uh, involving union dues. Uh, tell us uh, what your take on it. Well, very simply, uh, the Friedrichs case would make uh, the... Uh, Make it voluntary for teachers and other public employees to join a public union, public employees union. As it stands now, they must pay a certain amount of dues. They actually they don't have to join, but they do have to pay dues or what's called an agency fee to a union. Uh, this ruling could make it that they don't have to pay any dues at all, which I think is very fair. Now, the idea that a lot of people have been struggling with for many years is, on the one hand, folks who don't like union activities, don't like the idea of a union, certainly don't like the political activities of a union, uh, resent the idea that they're forced to, to pay something. And yet, the tendency by the courts and the legislatures has been to say, well, but you know what, the unions in, increase benefits and increase wages and so on, and you, you can't be a free rider, and so you have to pay. So what you're saying is that the U.S. Supreme Court is poised and taking on this case to strike a, a pretty solid blow against at least public employee unions uh, so that, uh, I mean, their, their power might really be eviscerated. Well, their power would be eviscerated, but this really isn't a case about eviscerating power. It's a case about teacher freedom. I mean, it's, it's, it's akin to not exactly the same thing. I mean, imagine you go out and you buy a car and somebody tells you you have to join the auto club, or you buy a gun and somebody tells you you have to join the NRA. These are private organizations, as is the teachers' union. Why should you have to pay them any money? Why can't you negotiate your own contract? And I think another angle we're talking about there with Larry Sand, he's president of the California Teachers Empowerment Network, Another angle that people are focusing on this, Larry, is the fact that public sector unions are, are kind of qualitatively different from unions in the private sector. It's not quite like the United Auto Workers going to General Motors and saying, doggone it, you're so powerful, you know, we, we've organized and, and you know, we, we don't want to work 14 hours a day and you've got to improve our wage. With public sector unions, what you're dealing with is a situation where the unions, I mean, you could think of them as, as bribing the politicians to improve their benefits uh, by giving them pretty gigantic contributions because a lot of these uh, legislatures uh, you know when the public sector unions say jump they just say how high yeah well clearly i mean that that is the case uh, uh, the the california teachers association considers the state assembly here in california their house and they consider themselves the fourth branch of government, and they are because basically they buy and sell politicians. So when they go into a, into a negotiation session, they're negotiating against themselves, essentially. And it's very unfair. But once again, that's not what this case is about. This case is simply about, you know, if a teacher doesn't want to pay money to the union, 
Why the heck should should they? Now, the U.S. Supreme Court came out the other day and added some time to the oral argument for this. Uh, I don't know if people are trying to read the tea leaves. Is there any speculation based on their their previous decisions? Because I know there was a decision in the 70s letting states require public employees to join a union or pay a fee to to cover collective bargaining costs. Is there a sort of sense of optimism uh, by, uh, by the critics of the public sector unions saying, you know, they wouldn't be wasting their time? if they weren't prepared to revisit and maybe reverse that decision from the 70s. Well, yeah, I think Alito's been making those noises. Clearly, there's a good shot that this will fly. As to your first question, as far as reading, you know, something into this, I check with the lawyers because I saw there was a, I guess there was an article in the uh, Wall Street Journal which said that the, uh, the, uh, the CTA asked for an extra 10 minutes. I don't think it's a big deal. They didn't either. It's just that they want more time to make their case. I don't think there's anything we can read into that. Well, we'll be watching it very carefully, and I'm guessing the last few days of June or when we're going to hear the result from this decision, plus affirmative action, abortion, and all the other uh, hot-button stuff on the court's docket. Larry Sand, the president of the California Teachers Empowerment Network, thank you for sharing your time this week, and have a wonderful New Year's. Thanks. Same to you, Royal. All right, take care. 821 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks, in for Doug McIntyre. Stay with us. Everybody wake up. I think I know what people want to hear when they first wake up. Chris, what is it? It's McIntyre in the Morning with Doug McIntyre and Terry Ray Elmer. 907 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. Happy New Year to you all this New Year's Eve. Well, tonight a lot of folks are going to drink too much, and so it's our uh, it's our duty, it's our sworn duty, Rob Marinko, to help them out. Uh, the gentleman <laughs> at the end of last hour is kind of a Debbie Downer, you know. Funny I, I, I asked him, for, you know, what's the hangover cure? Well, just don't drink. That's that's the best cure. And then when I challenged him, fun at I demanded an alternative. He said, well, then don't drink 12 beers or 13 cocktails. All and these Rand- rules. Randy saw his 12, and he raised him to 13 yeah, beers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Good job. I don't know what the what the guy's problem was, but you know, you, people need help. Now uh, we got a couple of doctors' uh, advice here that I'm going to pass along. Doctor Judith Hellman, she's a cosmetic dermatologist, <laughs> and she says pop an aspirin. Okay, uh, the anti-inflammatory properties can help prevent a head ca- headache. But you got to pop it right before you go to bed. That's the truth. Well, that's what she says uh, right before going to bed. She also says eat a lot of food before you start drinking and a table and a tablespoon of olive oil to coat the stomach oh, to help absorb the alcohol. Yeah, Just go what, get Italian food. Yeah, there you go. And then she she's in favor of vodka. She says I drank straight up Grey Goose. You get less of a hangover. I drink it when I want to go out and enjoy myself. Well, Lottie freaking done. Not all of us can afford Grey Goose. Yeah. <laughs> so she's talking pre gaming. I think you know she just wants to have a really fun evening. Yeah, radio people. We got like a bottle of Thunderbird we keep for <laughs> yeah. emergencies in the studio. We get that plastic jug of pop off. It's so low on the shelf at the supermarket you can't even reach for it. So let's go to Doctor Daniel Yadigar. Advice. He's a cardiologist. Uh-huh. He says uh, prickly pear cactus pads can help when what? taken. I mean, I don't know. Wouldn't you have to go to the ER to get the cactus pads removed from your throat? I, I don't know what prickly pear cactus pads are. Where do you put it? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, it just it distracts you from the fact that you uh, have a, a hangover. Oh, and here's a piece of advice that Dr. Daniel Yadigar has. <laughs> Some studies show having sex is helpful for a hangover. Maybe it's the endorphins that are released. or I keep just... trying to convince my girlfriend <laughs> about that one, and she never <laughs> believes <laughs> me. He's, he says it may just help the time go faster. Uh, That's a little strange for a hangover tip. Uh, now we have Dr. Vincent Pedre, an integrative physician. 
What the hell is an integrative physician? Rob Marinko, you're a newsman. What is it? Uh, I'll get back to you. Yeah, please get back to me. I don't, but whatever it is, he thinks you should drink coconut water. Coconut water is going to prevent a, a hangover? I mean, it might, because you'll vomit so much from drinking it, you'll get all the alcohol out of your system. He says, drink it as soon as you get home from a night of the town. Actually, why wait? Take a flask. Just fill your flask up to the to the brim with coconut water. It sounds like the, that's what Vincent Pedre thinks you should do. Royal, he, you know the flask is old news. Is Guys it? like Rob and I, we use the wine bra. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh, that would be good. Got yeah. a little straw that comes up. It's really uh, it's convenient and uh, discreet. Yeah, you, it conceals uh, it. Now, he's into veggies, too, Dr. Pedre. He says a green juice with some papaya. Get out of here. Yeah, and a little cleansing cilantro. Oh, God, that stuff yeah. tastes like soap. He says it's hydrating and provides minerals. So, okay, these are these are good hangover cures. Uh. Then we've got Danielle Pashko. She's a, a nutritionist. Uh, activated charcoal is her advice. You should take activated charcoal. Here's the deal. You're, you're, you're getting, we're getting advice from all these doctors, these physicians. These yeah. You know, we should be getting advice from drinkers. Maybe, maybe yeah, so. People who drink know how to get over a hangover. Well, how do you know the doctors aren't also drinkers? That's possible. Well, uh, I think Rob's got a good point. And most drunks, they give you the same advice. Just keep drinking. You'll never get a hangover. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, Dr. Uh, Pashko also warns against chugging coffee the next day. She says the caffeine in coffee can help with the headache, but it's dehydrating. So drink green tea instead. Oh. It has the caffeine to offset the headache, and it's not dehydrating. So, green tea. All right. So you, you got your cures, cures now, folks. Have no excuse uh, not to, uh, to follow some of that advice. How did none of those people? have the actual cure on there no what is your actual cure smoke a bowl you'll be good to go <laughs> wow you, you're talking about like a bowl of cheerios I and mean, wouldn't that be weird I think that's what he's referring Cap- to captain crunch that mm. kind of bowl weed uh oh okay so you, you've clarified yeah but the problem is not everybody has access to uh, what you call your legal marijuana in california and president obama still has federal laws on the books you never know when he's going to swoop down in uh, Helicopter One and arrest you. I, I guess maybe a paranoid person might might suspect that the president yeah, would do that. Exactly. So, okay, there's uh, there's that option, but, uh, you know, there are also some fully legal options like coconut water in your flask. So, ve- uh, January 1, we got hundreds of laws. As a matter of fact, 807 laws signed into law in California that are going to transform our lives, for example— Minimum wage up from nine dollars to ten dollars. Makes no an hour. sense. It's stupid. Well, you know, it's 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 just going to put a lot of young folks uh, out of work uh, at uh, fast food restaurants. But uh, that's what we wanted, and that's uh, what we got. Uh, on the more serious front, we have a right to die law that's going into effect in California, and it allows doctors to prescribe lethal doses of drugs to terminally ill patients. And so we're going to be just like Oregon. The problem is, I think the real tragedy of, of this law is that they had an opportunity to include a requirement that people who go to the doctor and say, I want a lethal dose, I'm ready to end it all. There could have been a requirement that they at least spend a little time with a shrink, some, some time with a psychologist, or, but the legislature said, no, we're not going to do it. Here's the problem. you got Obamacare, which makes more people want to commit suicide, but they can't afford it. Yeah, that's true. But, of course, you're going to have your death panels with Obamacare, so mm-hmm. that, that'll help out. Uh, also going into effect January 1, 
Your hoverboards man, it may now be ridden wherever bicycles are ridden. So as long as you take a fire extinguisher along with you, <laughs> or or a big uh, big bucket of water. Although I guess the I guess the smart thing when you have an electrical fire, you don't want to throw water on it. No, I guess not. Yeah. Okay. So carry around a bucket of sand, something like mm-hmm. that. So the uh, so the hoverboards are legal now as of January one. Uh, and, and you've reported this morning, Rob Marinko, the, uh, this, this poor gentleman, uh, Delvon Simmons, uh, his board caught on fire. The board just burned up. Uh, major lawsuits, I think, are going to be filed against these hoverboard people. Yeah, there's airlines that won't allow them. Most airlines now have uh, outlawed them because of their propensity to uh, catch fire. And, and, and Randy Wang thinks there should be a fraud lawsuit against the hoverboards. Because they company don't hover. Because they aren't technically hovering. Who started calling them hoverboards? My friends got them before. Anyone was talking about them, they yeah. were called wheels. I can They don't tell hover. You. It's 2015, I know. Back I, to the future hoverboards. But yeah, they're Michael, not hoverboards. Michael J. Fox started the trend. That's who's calling them hover, hoverboards, perhaps. Hey, yeah. we're going to be... <laughs> Royal, as a lawyer, I got to quickly ask. Sure. Is there any legal grounds in suing these Chinese companies with these cheap batteries? Or is there, you're just screwed? You wasted $600. No, I think you can sue, you know, if something doesn't live up to uh, the implication. Uh, of course, if you have to, you have to read the Chinese character fine print uh, on, on the package. And, oh, wait, it says you're screwed. Yeah, something like that. And, and then you got to buy a new battery every two hours. But that's a. <laughs> That's a bad Chinese joke. Bum, bum. <laughs> 9.14 the time. Talk Radio 790 KBC. Uh, Bill Thomas, can you restore some seriousness to this conversation? Money, money, money. Must be funny in the rich man's world. Money, money, money. Always sunny in the rich man's world. 9.15 the time. Talk Radio 790 K. ABC, The Place Royal Oaks, your host this week, this is a fun holiday week, very relaxed, very calm, except for uh, Affluenza Boy, and uh, his money got him into some trouble. Got him out of the trouble, too, so, uh, you know, I, I guess that is a testament to the power of money. So we've been talking about all the angles of this story. Uh, he and his mom were down in Mexico. I love the angle that they were caught. Because they were sitting around, you know, Ensenada or wherever they were. Oh, let's go for Domino's. Let's call them up. So they use their cell phone. And somehow uh, our smarty pants, uh, you know, FBI surveillance folks, whoops, there's Affluenza guy. We've got him because of his cell phone. So I hope he enjoyed his uh, pepperoni pizza from Domino's because that led to his capture. So mom's uh, on her way back home to Texas. The son's resisting uh, the extradition. We thought it'd be fun to uh, check in with somebody who knows all about uh, capturing these fugitives, and his name is Zeke Unger. He is a renowned expert in bounty hunting and fugitive apprehension. Zeke, welcome to KBC. How are you? Good morning, and thanks for having me. Well, uh, you're quite welcome. First, before we start on Affluenza Guy, Zeke, I have to ask you if you've seen one of my favorite movies of all time, Midnight Run, with uh, Robert De Niro <laughs> and Charles Grodin. It's have you seen it, Zeke? I have seen it many times. I also... Uh, was a commentator on it for the AMC uh, movie channel. Oh my gosh, really? Oh, that's cool. that's yeah. terrific. Now, when you say you were a commentator, so you were, did some on-air stuff to uh, talk about, you know, whether it was realistic and so on. Yeah, it was called Movies at Our House, and uh, they had us on, and we critiqued it. Oh, it is incredible, folks. For those of you who haven't seen it, uh, Robert De Niro, of course, is amazing. 
And he just brings all of his powers, you know, comedic, dramatic. And talk about buddy films, I mean, which are just so wonderful. You know, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with Steve Martin and, and John Candy. But this is a buddy film to end all of them. I mean, Charles Grodin is the accountant for the mob. He's on the run, and De Niro is going to make a big score by getting this guy. And it is just a wonderful ride. Midnight Run, you got to check it out. So, so Zeke, uh, what are your impressions about this story that everybody's gabbing about in terms terms of uh, affluenza boy uh, heading down to Mexico. Well, first, uh, I want to say the U.S. Marshal Fugitive Apprehension Task Force did an amazing job working with the Mexican government. And a lot of people, you know, assume the corruption down in Mexico with law enforcement is uh, rampant, although there's some really good Mexican agents down there that we work with regularly who are vetted by the United States Marshal Service. And uh, they did an amazing job, you know, the... Uh, U.S. Marshal Electronic Surveillance Unit picked up the call, and uh, agents on the ground moved quickly. It was very well, uh, very well done. So we're talking to Zeke Unger. He is uh, an expert in bounty hunting, uh, fugitive apprehension. It's Z-E-K-E-U-N-G-E-R dot com. So you're kind of like the Jack Bauer of fugitive apprehension. Don't you have to be really good at, you know, hand-to-hand combat, weaponry, surveillance, and so on? It, it sounds like a, a complex, dangerous job you've got. It, it can be dangerous. A lot of it is sitting surveillance with patients, uh, watching locations, uh, a lot of data research. There are a lot of things that come into play. Uh, the most difficult part is finding someone. The uh, apprehension end of it takes a couple minutes. It's, sometimes it's exciting, sometimes it's not. But uh, for the most part, I would say that the skip tracing end of it is really where you have to have a lot of skill. Um, of course, staying alive and going home at night is what we like to do. So, yes, you know, we do train with weapons. We do train hand-to-hand. Uh, and basically our agents go through rigorous training, not so much all through the country. You know, there's different regulations for bounty hunting across the country, and we're hoping one day that it becomes kind of a national situation. Hey, hey Zeke, I'm just curious, has new technology made your job harder or easier? And, and I guess what I'm referring to is, when you're after somebody, and particularly in the affluenza boy case, they used their cell phone stupidly ordering a pizza, and they were they were nabbed. But I, I'm curious with with all the new technology, it, is it does it make your job harder because people know how to use it, or is it easier because they're more likely to make mistakes? Well, it's kind of a two-edged sword, and I'll tell you why. Uh, modern day investigators have really got lazy. Um, you know, basically, you can get bad information off of the internet or data research and start chasing a red herring. Um, The the fact of the matter is that you have to be very diligent um, in in what direction you're going in. Electronics is great these days, but again, investigators get lazy because they're not doing the gumshoe detective work going out there. You know, before the internet, you had to go out there and you had to interview people and you had to develop leads. And you had to you sharpen your skills to get people to talk to you, you know. It, so the new the new age investigator is kind of a lazy uh, button pusher, in my. You know. No, you we were talking about you know hand to hand combat and so on. I, I mean, you're trained in that, but you, it's no fun losing a fight. You you want to have the element of surprise when you're going in for the kill. What are your techniques for making sure that you know you can swoop in and not have to uh, engage in a fight with these guys? Well, the first thing is, of course, the element of surprise, you know. Uh, we try and catch people off guard when they're sleeping or when they least expect it. Uh, once we catch them off guard, we can usually catch them pretty quick. Um, we're, 
we always set up a perimeter so that the uh, the suspect can't get out of our jurisdiction where we're at. Um, you know, we do it quick, we do it fast, we move the body fast, we get them handcuffed fast. It's really a timing issue. And, uh, you know, if you have to get in a fight with somebody, you really haven't done your job. You know, you can go to your tear gas, you can go to your taser. Um, if it escalates, and of course, if they have a weapon, then, of course, you have to go to lethal force, which we're seeing across the country now with lethal force, force issues. Um, but, you know, we're chasing fugitives. We don't assume that they're bad guys. We know they're bad guys. Zeke, I'm just curious, just generally speaking, do you get support from local law enforcement? Are they there as a backup to you, or are they consider you a pain in the you-know-what? Well, I'll tell you, it used to be very different. You know, it used to be where if you were a bounty hunter, you'd be in the back of a patrol car more than the suspect because law enforcement doesn't, nowhere in the nation does the police academies teach about bounty hunters, what our rights are. And we have a large spectrum under, you know, Taylor versus Taylor, which is an 1872 Supreme Court law. We can cross state lines, carry weapons, break in and enter residences when necessary um, and accurate. But, um, you know, what has really helped us, believe it or not, is uh, Dwayne Chapman, a dog, the bounty hunter. Um, good friend of mine, good bounty hunter. You know, when we are in the streets now, you know, the cops say, oh, you're like the dog. Yeah, we're like <laughs> I love the dog. it. <laughs> I mean, you know, listen, our tactics are different, but Dwayne has certainly done a lot for the bounty hunting industry. He's put us on the radar that we're allowed to do what we do. And um, I take my hat off to him, you know. Let- notoriety and... And good for him. Absolutely. Last question, Zeke Unger. Uh, drones, a big deal for uh, bounty hunters? Is that, uh, Rob was asking about technology. I, I would think that might make your job easier. Just starting to come into play. We have one. We've used it sporadically for surveillance. You're starting to see it more in the private investigation world than you are actually in bounty hunting. Although, you know, it does help if you need to get a sneak peek somewhere where you can't get to it, a backyard, a upper level, and a second story. Um, for that purpose, it works, but, uh, you know, again, there's new laws coming out for flying those things, too. All right, Zeke Unger, uh, expert in bounty hunting and fugitive apprehension, zekeunger.com. Thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts with us. You have a great New Year's. You, too. Thank you. All right, take care. 924, the time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. Bill Thomas, how are the roads looking? 938 the time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Hey, the LA Kings are on a quest for a third Stanley Cup in five years as they take on Calgary today at 530. Hall of Fame broadcaster Nick Nixon and former King Darrell Evans describe all the action. That's Kings versus Calgary today at 530 on the home of the Kings, 790 KABC. All right, we've done our duty, Rob Marinko. We've advised folks of the best hangover cures. But now we need some advice from a man on the scene about what's going on in New York because it's kind of the center of the universe. Everybody's watching the, the ball drop. Uh, only a f- tiny fraction of people are actually physically there, but the whole world is watching. So, uh, Steve Kastenbaum, uh, you're there on the scene, uh, Times Square, New York City. Uh, what's going on there? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting how the whole world watches uh, this uh, location where a million people gather for the ball drop no matter what the weather conditions. Today, it's kind of mild, about 50 degrees right now. It'll be in the 40s tonight. It's uh, something that started here decades ago and was a show of modern technology when they first came out with Lightbulb, uh, the company uh, that uh, has the, uh, the building here, which is now, it's no longer the Times Square building, but they wanted to show you know, their, how modern they were, and they created this ball with uh, what was new back then, light bulbs, and then everybody came out to watch it drop. Yeah, So they still come out, and they've been coming out for decades ever since then. And uh, the first couple of pens... 
uh, closest to one Times Square it, are filling up right now. Some people who, uh, for the life of me, I don't know why, started showing up now for something that's going to happen 12 hours from now. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the folks who lined up two or three weeks ahead of Star Wars. Exactly. Well, well Steve Kastenbaum, I, I remember uh, years ago you'd tune in and it was just a, a, a mob scene, you know, a sea of humanity. I, I've noticed in recent years uh, the reports tell us when you go to Times Square on New Year's Eve, it's not like you can just wander around. They actually pen you up in little quadrants. They're, they're, so they're continuing that practice this year? Yeah, well, you know, in the interest of uh, honest and accurate reporting, I will tell you that you basically just stand on one block in a pen. You're allowed to move around within that pen, and that's it. And you stand there for hours. Sure, there's entertainment. There no, no bathroom, Steve, right? No bathrooms to no, get people no ba- drinking. No bathroom. Sorry, one of the oh. side streets here is still open. Wait a minute. Uh, i got a million people. How can they not have Andy Gump porta potties? Depends. They have none. Depends. I mean, they have them for the, the production <laughs> crews and the reporters, the media. Well, and, that's and, what's and important. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, you know, I mean, well, I think, you know, bringing in porta potties for a million people on the day of, because realize that the traffic's still flowing on some of the avenues here. Until around three o'clock. There's a lot of stuff so flowing the, afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> so roll them in here would be a, a tremendous undertaking, and then get them out time to reopen the traffic again. It's uh, I think uh, you know something that uh, is just too too much uh, logistically for them, and they don't do it. And, and as a result, many people come here. Uh, I'm not joking. In adult diapers and uh, try to drink as little fluid as possible. <laughs> oh my God! What a festive New Year's! You know, I think we figured I'm, out. I'm, I'm, I was going to say, I'm painting a horrible picture of this event that I've covered so many years, haven't I? Yeah, it's kind of a Debbie Downer thing, uh, Steve Kastenbaum. You know, Steve, I think you've just solved a very eternal mystery here, why people hate the media. That's because (laughs) one million people a year stand there in a pen with no bathroom, with their hands up on on the uh, the fence, and they watch Steve Kastenbaum. Oh, yes, Mr. Kastenbaum, your restroom is right down here. And, and I think there's major resentment against uh, yeah. you and your colleagues. A little tip also, if, pardon the interruption, Steve, but if you're standing next to a guy that kind of starts kind of squinting <laughs> a little bit, move away. Yeah. One fo- standing on one foot and then kind of, the other. Kind of, <laughs> I think yeah. people look at me with disdain because I'm the guy who's on the air saying, why are all these people here? If they weren't here, I'd be celebrating New Year's Eve with family. That's right. <laughs> now, but, you know, the other, thing is, the other thing is, by the way, if you do want a bathroom, there are places where you can pay to be part of a celebration like the restaurants in Times Square, and some of them are charging, whoa, exorbitant prices for these VIP packages. I read somewhere that Ruby Tuesdays has some sort of VIP package for 1700 bucks tonight. Wow. Well, you know, Rob Marenko was actually reporting on this earlier in the week, and as I recall, you had Applebee's and Olive Garden in the 400 buck a head range for the buffet and the party and down, but uh, I think Bubba Gump Shrimp? 800 bucks. $800. Yep. Now, I guess it's probably a primo view there. I mean, the restaurant probably lets you see the throng I out guess. in Times Square. i got to be honest, once you're inside the restaurant, you don't really get a view of the ball. You know, I mean, you can see the crowd and you can hear it and everything, but you don't see the actual ball. Just drop, ask so. the Bubba Gump Mater D for a table by the window, please. Mm-hmm. That's going to cost you extra. You're going to have to introduce him to George Washington. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I handle well, it. You know, it is fun. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sounding like a Debbie Downer, but you know, it is on a lot of people's bucket lists, and it's something that you find uh, people coming to from all over the world, as far away as the China, Brazil, Australia. They all come out uh, by the hundreds of thousands and fill these streets uh, all the way back uh, practically to Central Park. 
So you're yeah. talking about uh, more or less uh, a mile of Broadway, a mile of 7th Avenue filled with these folks. Uh, it's, it, it is, you know, a special occasion. Like you said, everybody around the world does watch the ball drop. In New Year's Eve, uh, on New Year's Eve in Times Square. Well, here. speaking of the Debbie Downer element, of course, everybody's focused on terrorism and after San Bernardino and Paris and so on. Uh, I'm sure the security is off the charts, but y- you get the sense that the terrorists don't go after the Super Bowl and the New York Times on New Year's Eve because probably they know uh, the the hyper vigilance is going to result in them being captured. Well, that's the other thing too. Uh, the security here is intense, and you have to enter through some uh, metal detectors a block away on either side of Times Square, which, by the way, there will be probably long lines because you know, there's only so many metal detectors in New York. They have a million people to sweep. Uh, but uh, the security is very tight once you get into Times Square. No alcohol, no large bags. So the Times Square itself is, is very well protected, but beyond that perimeter, you know, that's when you have to keep your eyes open. You know, the, where the crowds are gathering on those lines outside the security perimeter, uh, they, you know, there'll be a heavy police presence as well, but the police department is telling everybody, you know, see something, say something. If you see something suspicious, don't hesitate to tell a cop. All right, Steve Kastenbaum there in New York City. Thanks uh, for giving us the uh, flavor of the situation. You have a good New Year's. Yeah, happy New Year. Thanks a lot. 944 The Time, Talk Radio, 790 K A.